turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to take a break from the book of Revelation. Just briefly, Ephesians chapter 3. And we will start in verse 8 to begin reading. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities and in heavenly places. And this is in accordance with His eternal purpose which He carried out in Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for allowing us to be here today, this morning. It is a privilege. Um, Lord, there's uh, some that would love to be here today and not able to be. Uh, Their heart is here. They love our church. They love being with Your people. They love hearing from Your Word, but yet... They're not, and we pray for them. I, I just think of little Matthew who is in the hospital, and we know that family would love to be here this morning. We pray that you would bless them. Uh, and, uh, Father, give the doctors wisdom as they deal with, with Matthew. I think of Mrs. Gross. I think of many of uh, other uh, of our widows and widowers as well. And uh, we just know that they would love to be here. And we just pray that you would bless them at this time. Lord, thank you that we can be here. I pray that you would bless our time in this word. And may we, may you give illumination, give understanding, clarity. And then may we apply these things to our life. And our life and our thinking would be changed to line up more according to your word Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is giving us information about the church. Paul wants us to understand the church. It's important that we do so. We know, we use this little phrase, the church is not the building. You understand what I'm saying when I say the church. It's not this building, this church building. And Paul knows that. There was no real buildings uh, back in Paul's day. They didn't meet, uh, they, they didn't have meeting places and they would have places that they could meet, but they weren't building. The church is the people, right? We know that. The church is the, the people, not the building. But the thing is, it's not just any people. It's not just any people. There's certain people. There's specific people that gather to make up the church. It's not just any gathering. You can go to a football game or a soccer game, and there's, there's a lot of people, that, but that doesn't make it a church, does it? No, it's specific, specific people. Now, Paul, Paul wants us to understand that. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, he has laid out for us everything that we have for life and godliness. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing that he says. And he lays out for us that the church is made up of people who are saved. People who have been born again. We are Christians. 
Now, I know we kind of take that thought for granted. We don't think about that, of course, or saved or under. But look, sometimes I believe the world does not get that. They don't grasp that. This is salvation has come to these particular individuals. Now, Paul wants us to understand what has happened to us as individuals and the blessings that come about as God has touched our heart in salvation. So he lays that out in chapter one. In chapter two, he talks about our new life in Christ, how we've been made alive. And in chapter three, he kind of pulls that all together and takes that and he lays out his commissioning service or his commissioning by God that he was commissioned by God to preach the gospel, and as a result of that, the church was formed. But it was made up of individuals who have heard the gospel, responded to the gospel. And in chapter 4, then he kind of lays out. Let me read chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. The world doesn't come into the church and just do their own thing. The world doesn't just come in or people from the outside don't just come in and do what they want to do. No, they fit in. The terms that it's here, uh, he says to uh, basically walk in step, walk in a manner worthy. It's like fit into the, the marching band. Uh, you all have that image in your mind, marching band. You, you have uh, 30, 40, 50, uh, maybe 100 People and they're in lockstep with one another, or maybe a military band. And he said, those from the outside, they come in. You, you get in line. You fit in with the calling that which with which you have been called. And he he's, he lays that out with humility and gentleness and patience, showing for tolerance to one another, one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's a unity within the church that you keep. The world doesn't come in and and say, okay, church, you're doing it all wrong. Let us show you how to do church. I'm I'm afraid that some people are doing that. And we're kind of catering to the world. But he said, no, no. One of the strengths of the church is its unity. And and he lays that out. There's There's one body, one spirit, one... We're called with one hope, one calling, one Lord, one faith. You see those things there. It's Our unity is, is a strength of the church. The unsaved, they come in when they be, get regenerated, born again. They're Christians. They come in and we don't change the church to meet them. They fit in lockstep with the church. You get the principle. But another strength of the church is found in verse 7. But to each one... Of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And he introduces this idea of gifts. We have unity in the church. That's a strong point. That gives us strength. But also we have diversity in the church. We have differing gifts. And that's another strength of the church, isn't it? We have all kinds of gifts that the church has been blessed with. People that God has gifted to minister to the church and in verse 11 he he kind of lays it out how this is to work he takes the the speaking gifts or the teaching gifts verse 11 and he gave some as apostles these are various gifts apostles some as prophets and some as evangelists some as pastors teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service so the way this works is people come in 
they get trained in the church for the equipping of the saints. They're equipped, they're built up, they're edified, they're encouraged, and then they're sent out for service. Sent out until we're all, until we're all unified, we're all uh, raised up, to we're all spiritually mature like Christ. And so what he does is he gives us the strength of the unity of the church, the strength of the diversity of the church, and that diversity turns in uh, and, it, and it points all to the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to build itself up. The purpose of the church within these four walls is to, to, mature, uh, to mature one another, to build us up. For the purpose of going out for ministry. Now it's nice that we have four walls. It's nice to come in to a church. And sometimes we treat it like a country club. This is just where we live. You know, this is a, No, we're, the, the point of the church is to, to come in, to be edified, to be built up, to be equipped, to be then sent out. Now when I was growing up, we had a little racetrack. And uh, it wasn't the fancy kind that you'd have today. But these racetracks, they come with the, this little box. And inside this box, it had two rotating rubber wheels. And you'd put the batteries in and turn this thing on. And these wheels would spin. And you'd put your matchbox car in on one side. And it would be shot out. And you connect all the, the tracks and it would shot out and it would go around. The car would go around, stay within the tracks and it would come and almost stop. It, it, would, it would go back into that chute and be shot out again, right? You've seen those. Some of you men were smiling. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's, that's the idea. Week after week, that's what the church did. If you look over in uh, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, the church... There's 3,000 met that first day. 3,000 came to know the Lord. And what did they do? Acts chapter 2. They continued to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread into prayer. And, and that we find in the scripture that they did this weekly. Every week they would gather together. The first day of the week. That's, they established that time. It was a time that was special for them. Jesus had risen that day. Uh, on, on that first day of the week, and God Himself had established the week, the seven-day period of time. And so every week they would meet together and devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they were equipped. They were built up with this word. And then they were shot out into the world. And they would go out and, and man, they would be, be ministering and, and be worn out. And, and then they would come back and be energized again and shot out. That's a wonderful picture of the church. It's a simple picture. Simple picture. And in that process, there's maturing, there's growth, there's things that are happening, things that are going on there that's, that's good. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread. There's other elements there. But the primary focus was the, the teaching of the Word so that the church would be built up. Now, now let's go back to the passage that I read for us earlier. Now you're, you're getting the point. Paul's giving us a, a picture of what the church is to be like. Now when we come to chapter 3 and verse 8, remember I, I mentioned that Paul Paul's reminding us of his commissioning, what God has called Paul to do. What is his part? And, and he is just simply marvel, marveling at uh, his role in the church. And let me start it. 
verse 6. Let's go back at verse 6. To be specific, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. That's a, it's an amazing thing. At that time, God had not reached out past the Jews. God was only using the nation. And now it's a, it's a different model than people from every nation. They didn't, they didn't, that was a, a new thought. They didn't think of that, that God would use that. But he, now he's incorporated these Gentiles, peoples from every nation, not just the, the Jews, and fellow partakers of the promises of Jesus, of Christ Jesus through the gospel. And it was all through the gospel. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. He did this. And it was a gracious thing that God give it, uh, did for me, Paul says, in verse 8, to me, the very least of the saints. I mean, I was murdering, I was killing the saints. And He made me this, this uh, minister. And here's specifically what He was to do. This grace gift, this gift uh, was given to preach to the Gentiles. Now, Paul's heart we learn in Romans chapter 11, Paul's heart was the Jews. He, he loved his own people. He was a Jew of the Jews, or a, her, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, he was the, a Jew to the hilt. He loved his people. But God says, Paul, you set your, your heart aside. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. That's interesting. And he sent him out to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, now, like I said, they were not God's people. This is a whole shift. This is a whole mystery that was not known at the time. And Paul's simple commission was to preach the unfathomable. He says, the unfathomable riches of Christ. That's the gospel. That's it. Very simple. Very simple. Paul, you got one job. You go out. I just want you to preach to the Gentiles. And you preach the gospel. You preach the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Christ. You preach uh, the, all the riches that, that come with that. Our salvation, basically. Now, here's the result. Look in verse 9. And to bring to light. So this is part of his commissioning. So he goes out, preaches the gospel. And here's what's going to happen, Paul. To bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. See, he says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to preach, and then you're going to find out what happens. So Paul, he goes to Colossae, he goes to Ephesus, he goes to Thessalonica, and Corinth, and Galatia. And he goes to these cities, and he preaches the Gospels. These cities that were uh, Gentile cities. And he preaches the Gospel. Just a simple Gospel. Here's what Christ has done. And what happened? The churches were born all over these different cities. That's an amazing thing. This church, churches, the city of, of Colossae has a church. The city of, of Ephesus has a church now. And it was just the preaching of the gospel. God enabled His Word as it went out. The Holy Spirit went with this Word. He preached this Word. The Holy Spirit works in people's heart. And all of a sudden you see the power of the gospel change that person. And you have several of them. And they kind of congregate. And you have a church. Voila. That's the way a church is to be formed. That's what a church is. New, reformed, regenerated people. 
It's not just taking a bunch of unsaved people and bringing them into the congregation and say, oh, we got a church. That's not a church. He says, no, we, we preached and all of a sudden these things are just happening. Have you ever seen videos or pictures in the desert where you might have an oasis or a little bit of water or, or maybe a stream of water and along that stream, now it'd be brown every place else, but along that stream you're gonna have, you're gonna have green. And it just stands out in the pictures. You've seen those things. And it's green along that water, where that water goes. Things can grow. That's the kind of the picture that you have here. In all these little cities, Paul has preached and, and churches sprang up. Life. Spiritual life is there. Something that was not there before. It's just desert. And now all of a sudden you have this. And it's as the, the Word of God is preached. See the picture? He's building up to this point. See, this mystery, this administration, it's a whole new shift. It's not a nation anymore. It's a whole new administration of the mystery of God. This administration is the church age as opposed to dealing with Israel. And here's verse 10. So that, here's the point, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now, this is it. Why in the world is God doing this? So the manifold wisdom of God, the multifaceted, this whole lot of elements of wisdom of God might be made known through what? The church. These churches sprung up. How did they get there? Just preaching the gospel. The gospel has that much power. Yeah, it has that much power. The preaching the gospel and these churches just sprung up. And that's that's the point. Then we can see God is so wise. Who would even thought that this would happen? That's the point. And so he says, then through the church, all the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, all of these people from this higher perspective, this vantage point, can see what God is doing and say, God, you are so incredibly smart and wise. That's the point. This was in accordance with his eternal purpose. He planned to do this all along. This was his plan. This eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus. This was his plan through Jesus Christ in whom we have this. And that's our connection is Jesus Christ in whom we have confident or we have boldness, confident access through faith. Now, you, you understand that picture. You understand how... That fits into the broader picture of the church. How Paul's place fits in. Just preaching the simple gospel. and Churches spring up. Boy, if you want to plant a church today, you can just Google online. And they will give you so much material. They will, they will just flood you with all kinds. Of, here's how you grow your church. Here's how to have millions and, and all of these things. And Paul says, no, it's just one simple task. You preach the Word, and as a result, God will work. God will work. Now, what I want us to see is that the church, though, and this is just the important point, the church is a unique group of individuals. It should be on the screen. A unique group of people because it consists of genuinely changed people They're saved. They're regenerated. Genuinely changed. 
You cannot just take a group of people and bring them into a padded pew congregation or four walls and say, we are a church. There has to be genuine, regenerate people. That comes from salvation. You will, we will never understand. We will never understand the church until we understand what God has done for us. That's the point in chapters 1 and chapters 2. God has worked in these individuals. You see the power of the gospel. And then the churches spring up. Now, the question is, is what is it to be saved? What is it to be a Christian? What does that mean? Well, let me give you 16 elements. Now, that's a lot. 16 elements. This is references to our salvation. 16 elements, if you will, of our salvation. You can put them in three categories, past, present, and future. But there's 16 of them. Now, obviously, we're not going to get through all of them today. And we will we'll carry this on. But what it does for us, looking at the ingredients that make up of a, a church, we should be able to we should be able to look at a church and say, you know what, there's something a little off there. There's a mindset that's not that's not correct there. When we look at the ingredients, then we can we can figure out here's what it should look like. You don't take the ingredients of a birthday cake and make a house, do you? No, you, you take a, the ingredients of a house. You take wood and stone and, and brick and mortar and, and plumbing and electricity. You, you make a house from those things. You don't take a, eggs and flour. And, no, you don't, you don't do that. You take the right ingredients. It has to be at the right ingredients. Now, when we think of our salvation, we think of the big cake. Oh, just, just show me the cake. Or just show me the house, the finished product. It's good for us to sit down and just think our way through sometimes 16 different elements, 16 different building blocks, if you will, of the church. Now, like I say, if you don't get this, if you don't understand this, the church is going to be a, really a superficial place. It's going to be a super, it's going to be a pretty shallow understanding of the church. When we were first married in Indiana, we bought a house. And that house was a Sears Roebuck house. Somebody had ordered that house, and it had come on a truck. And I was amazed that you could do that. But yeah, that's what. And and they just you just ordered it. All the material came. All the ingredients for that house was there. You had to put the house together, and you had to know what you were doing to be able to do that. And so that's what I want us to do: just slowly move through these elements of salvation. Folks, that will set a frame of reference for what the church is. Now, let's move on. Number one, first element. Now, if you look at your bulletin, my smart secretary, and let me tell you, it was her idea. She came up with this. And she put the element, uh, like the element chart, and she put them in the little... I thought, that is brilliant. And so if you see Cindy, tell her how great that was. I thought it was a good idea. So, number one, election. And this is a, a term that we see in Scripture. And if you look over Ephesians chapter 1. Now, as much as I can, I'm going to just stay in Ephesians. But we'll have to move out of Ephesians at some point. But we have the first one is election. Now, this is salvation past. This is what's happened past. And we see it all through Scripture. But I just want to point out Ephesians since we're there. Verse 4. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, what we're talking about here is the God's sovereign choice. God's sovereign choice. And what we find is our salvation was established before the sun was created, before this earth was created, before there was mountains, before there were streams. Our salvation was already established. That's an incredible concept. We see the, the same thing if you want to flip over. In Romans chapter 8, it's a passage you already know well. Uh, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. This is in God's sovereign control. Before you and I were even thought of, before our parents were thought of, before, before the creation of the world. And he foreknew. Now that foreknew doesn't mean he looked down the road and he saw what, what we were going to do and then he learned that. Let me, let me say this. God never looked down the road and learned anything. He never looked into the future to learn anything. God doesn't need to do that. He would not be God if he had to do that. That's a, that's a God that's not in Scripture. He didn't look and learn anything. No, he foreknew. He he established this relationship even before we were we were born, before we were even created. He says, Carl Dingus, I'm going to know you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to accept you. I'm going to bring you into my family. That's that's the idea here. Now, what does this do for us? What does this do for the church? Let me tell you, this is a unique Blessing. This is a unique privilege that I think the church forgets. Jesus said, broad, broad is the, the way that leads to destruction. And narrow is the path that leads to life, isn't it? This is a unique situation. If we are established, if we are elected by God, if we are chosen by God, we are on a, a narrow path. We are not to be like the world. We are to be different from the world. That's just very fundamental. But when you see churches that are not any different from the world, you just think, do they get that? Do they even understand this idea that we were chosen out? That we're to be unique. That we're to be different. Now, God didn't choose us out because we're so special. There's nothing special about us. There's no favor within us. There's nothing good. In fact, we were enemies just like everybody else. There's nothing good about Carl Dingus that would say, Oh boy, look at him. He didn't do that. He was motivated by his own glory. He's just going to show, I can take this, the most wicked of sinners... And change that person and make them, make them something. Make them a person who can glorify me with their life. And he says, watch this. And we see the power of the gospel. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with his glory. With his glory. And we don't try to be like the world. We're distinct from the world. Now this thinking... Is, is a, a backdrop. This is salvation past. This is already established. This is something that God in His mind has already orchestrated. And it is as though it had already been accomplished, already been done. That sets the backdrop, folks, for the church. For the individuals in the church. For the people. We, we rest in God on that very, that very thought that 
He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one in complete in charge of our salvation. Now, folks, that is a wonderful thought. Where, where is this idea that you can lose your salvation? It's not there, is it? I mean, start to finish. He's already got it accomplished. You say, well, uh, you say, well, why me? Yeah, I've asked that. Why me? God, why would you, why would you choose me out of the billions of people that would be, that would live at any given time? Why would you choose me? And the real answer, the real question is, why any of us? Why any of us? Folks, we have a unique position in the church. I don't know why. I don't know why God has chose us, but why any, just to show His grace? Just to show, just to demonstrate how incredibly gracious of a God that He can be, that He would take His enemies and say, watch this, look at this. I'm going to turn the heart of these enemies and they're going to be my friends. They're going to be my family. That's an incredible thought. Let's move on. Number two. And that's just one element, by the way. One little tiny element that we were chosen. Number two is we have the word atonement. Atonement. You see some verses there. I just want to look at one. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. And in Him we have redemption. That's our salvation. Through, how? Through His blood, the forgiveness of our sin. Christ had to sacrifice. Christ had to die on the cross. There had to be blood shed. And like I said, this was why we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. And that's the key point. That Christ shed His blood for us. We have an atonement. An atonement. This is what is happening here. If God is is going to choose us before the foundation of the world, and He's going to sacrifice His most prized possession, His most uh, uh, beloved Son, then God is not playing around here, is He? God is serious about this. There's nothing frivolous about this, folks. This is, this is serious stuff. If God is going to do this, we see that God is serious. For Him to just send His only begotten Son, it's serious. It's serious. I can't imagine churches that just seem to be playing around. Playing some kind of religious game. But, but boy, that's what they are. They're not sober at all. But when you look at the sacrifice that was given for us, there's a sobering tone to the church. And we see that taught throughout Scripture. There's a soberness that uh, underlines, underlines the church. We take God's work seriously. We are sober-minded. We fit in with what God has. There's no shallowness we we dig deep into God's Word. It's not just coming in and being encouraged, feeling good, and then going out and just being happy-go-lucky. You know, this is serious. If God's going to give His only begotten Son, if God's going to demonstrate His love in that way toward us, we need to reciprocate that. We need to follow Him our lives are dependent upon Him and, and He is gracious and kind to give us His Son. And there's a, there's a sober tone to, to take our Christian life seriously. 
Now you, you see that with churches, the kind of just privilege. You, you kind of wonder, what are, they, what are they doing here? On an individual level, we have to think of ourselves as well. What are, what are we doing? If God was sober enough, if Christ, if Christ was uh, committed enough to come down and die for us, what are we doing? It seems like we just seem to be playing around. Ah, God, thank you. We'll see you later. Wow. I don't know how. I don't know how churches can play that game. Uh, the, the song that we said, or that we sang earlier, the last song that we sang, it says, From heaven he came and bought her. That's a wonderful phrase. Talking about the church. He bought her with his own blood. There's atonement there. Atonement. Let's move on. There's another term, uh, propitiation. Propitiation is another term. In Romans chapter 3, and this is uh, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, says this. He says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Propitiation in His blood. Again, this is from the sacrifice. That sacrifice that Christ made was a satisfying sacrifice to God. And it appeased God's wrath. It's a, it satisfied God's wrath. It's a, a satisfying sacrifice, you might say. And God's wrath was turned toward us. And all of a sudden now it's turned toward Christ. And He takes all of God's wrath away from us. Now, just imagine yourself. You've been, you stood before the judge. You were found guilty before the judge. The judge says you need to be sent to the firing squad. You're going to stand in front of the firing squad. They're going to put you to death. And here you are. You've got your back up against the wall. You've got ten men pointing their guns right at you. They're not going to miss. You're going to be dead in a matter of minutes. And then all of a sudden, somewhere down the line, just watching, says, Hey, I'll take his place. I'll take his place. And, and okay, that's fine. You're free to go. And you're just, you're gone. The other person comes and he takes your place. That's the image. God's wrath was pointed toward us. All of a sudden, Christ said, I will go. I will die for Him. And, and all of a sudden, we are freed. We are freed. Freed from the wrath of God. That burden has been lifted from us. There's a sense of relief in the church. We don't have that burden laying on us. We don't have that. God is, God is a a good God, and He has freed us from His wrath. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, here's a, here's an Ill, a little analogy from that. We, just this past weekend, yesterday, we had about 46 people at our house. Reinhardt clan is a little bit of a reunion. They said, uh, let's, let's have it at Carl and Ruthie's house. Oh, okay, okay. Well, what happens? Once that decision is made, tension starts to build. And now we knew a year ago, but of course you don't get everything ready until the last weekend, right? And then you start, oh no, people are coming. You know, let's borrow a power washer. We've got to wash, you know, wash the house down. We've got to clean this room, clean that room. And it for, it's frantic for a, a week beforehand. And you just work and work and all this, all this pressure. And then all of a sudden the people come and you have a great time and six o'clock comes and everybody's gone and there's a sense of relief. We sit down and how did it go? I think it went well. I think it, everything worked out. It was good. 
It was good. There's that sense of relief in the church. Why? Because God's wrath has been taken away. There's a sense of joy. Uh, the, the worst of our life is, is over, folks. We, we may go through circumstances here, but folks, that was nothing compared to standing in front of the firing squad. Death was facing us right there. And all of a sudden, Christ take our place. I mean, that's, that's the good news of it. Our eternal life is secure. Now, that's an amazing thought. That's the backdrop of the church. We have that undergirding us. That's, that shapes our thinking. That, that everything is accomplished. There's nothing left. There's a propitiation for our sin. No condemnation. Now, folks, that's satisfying. That's a, that's a relief. Look at number four. Effectual call. An effectual call. This is not the pastoral call. This is when God draws us, when God causes within our own heart. If you turn to John chapter 6, verse 37, all that the Father gives uh, gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And we know how that works. We've, we've got the Old and New Testament now, and we understand the Holy Spirit is there, and He draws us. He pulls us. He, we, it's like a gravitational pull toward, toward Christ. He draws Him, and I will raise Him up in the last day. It will be completed. It will be finished. In verse 65, He also says, For this reason I say to you, that no one will come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. The Father's in complete control. And you know what? He calls us. He woos us. He draws us with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He works in our heart. It's an effectual calling. We're drawn. It's not that God dictates to us. We're not robots. I chose. I wanted to. There was a desire in my heart to be close to Christ. It made sense. The Holy Spirit had to illumine my darkened heart and soften my, soften my darkened heart and illumine my, my darkened mind. And He did that. And we're part of a group. The whole church is part of a group. Now folks, it's something to be for the President of the United States to select out. I'm going to select out a 500 people from America, you know, and, and he, I'm going to, you know, he selects me, uh, just a number, you know. But it's something else to be called by the president. For the president to pick up the phone and say, hey, Carl, I want you to do this. Listen, God gave us an effectual call. He was involved in space and time in our life in a particular time. And, and he calls us, he woos us, he draws us. Now, folks, that's an incredible thought. It's a wonderful, a wonderful idea that we have here. We each have our own individual testimony. It's not just, well, we're just a group and we're just a big group. No, individually, He called you. There's a specific time and place. He worked in your heart and, and He pulls you. And we each have our own testimony, how that happened. We each have our own uh, time that, that God says, I want you. He, he may have used a preacher. He may have used someone else. But He certainly used the Word of God and He certainly used the Holy Spirit to draw you. 
to pull you in. And we're trophies of God's grace individually. Individually. Think about that. It's not just a collective group. Okay, whoever, come on in. No, He chose us and He calls us individually and we respond because He of His work in our life. That's a wonderful thought. Let's go on. Number five, regeneration. Christ said you must be born again. Paul said uh, we are new creatures. In Ephesians, if you're in Ephesians, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ by grace. We have been saved. And He raised us up with Him to see with Him. What is that talking about? It's talking about spiritual life. We are born again. We're made alive. Made alive. We're spiritually alive. This is why you can't take a group of of unbelievers and bring them into a congregation and say, well, this is a church. Even if they're singing all the same songs, that doesn't, doesn't mean anything. They have to be spiritually alive. There has to be spiritual life there. The church is not just a building. It is a people, but it's not just a people. It is people who have spiritual life. Now, Lane and Skyler, Lane and Skyler have a new baby. Now, in their house, where it used to be quiet, in the particular room where there was no noise, all of a sudden now, all of a sudden now, you have what? Life. You have noise. You have crying. You have Hunger pains that need to be to be fed, that need to be met. There's there's demands there. There's attention that has to be taken. There's things that have to be cleaned up. There's life where there was no life there before. Now there's now there's life. It's a little messy, but it's life, and you can see it. You can see it. Folks, where there is no life demonstrated, the power of the gospel is not there. The power of the gospel is not seen. You don't have people with testimonies that say, hey, you know what? The Lord got a hold of my life at this point, and I can't stop. The Lord just, He's, he's got me. Because there's life. It, there's, there's something real there. That's, life is hard to define. Is it just movement? Well, no. Machine can move, Right? No, there's, there's more to it than that. It's hard to define. It's hard to see life. You, you, we know it when we see it, though. You, you, just, you just know. You just see it. And folks, where there's a real church, there's spiritual life. Spiritual life there. And number six, there's faith. Chapter 2 again, verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's through faith. That's the means at which God saves us. It's, it's belief in Him. But that even self is not your, your own. You see, that is not of yourself. It is a gift from God. How else can you take that? This is not a result of works of any kind so that no one can boast. It's, it's all of God. Why? Because we would be pretty boastful. We would be pretty boastful. But it's not. He has given us a supernatural faith. It's a supernatural trust in God that we cannot see. 
Now, James says it's definitely not a dead faith. It's not the faith that the, the demons have. They believe in God. They have faith in God. But they're not exercising that faith in God. They believe in God. This is a dead faith. They're not doing anything with that faith. Peter says we have a living hope, a living faith, a faith that does not die. That's what we're seeing in Revelation, isn't it? You have a group of people that are going through the worst of the worst, the hardest of times, and there's stars falling from heaven, there's earthquakes, and they will not quit. That is a faith. Job says, though he killed me, I will still trust in him. The church are those individuals who, who trust in God, who exercise faith in God, in God's word. They will give. They will do things. They are loyal to God, even to a fault, even to uh, the, the world will put them on a cross and kill them or burn them at the stake. And they will say, I can't stop believing in him. That's a supernatural faith. And that points to God himself. That points to God himself. Now, I think you're getting the picture here. I'm going to stop with this one. I'm going to stop right there. We won't go to the next one yet. We'll do that. But I want you to see. I want you to to see something here. That the church cannot just be ordinary people coming to, 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 to hear a sermon or to sing songs. It takes regenerated people. There's a certain mindset. There's a certain life that, that has to be there or, or you just got a group of people. Um, we, can, we can define the church and we can say, okay, the church is this and the church is this. The church is organized like that and the church does this and does that. But folks, if this is not the background, if you don't have saved individuals, you really don't have a church. God is not there in the midst. And that's a sobering thing. But, folks, if you do have the church, it's an incredible thing. We see the very wisdom of God on display. And that's the point. Look at my wisdom. Just look how smart I am, God is saying. You know what? For us, it's just a joy to be a part of that, isn't it? To just be a part of a church. It's a simple thing. This simple thing. But it's an incredible thing. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, just a, a small little concept. Something we kind of even take for granted. We just, we, we just come, we just show up, and we just do. And, but Lord, we're not just ordinary people. You chose us before the foundation of the world. You sent your Son to die for us. You've given us this faith that will not die. You regenerated us, given us new life. Lord, there's something within us that, that just will not quit, that's spiritually alive now. Lord, may we function like a New Testament church should function. Lord, it's there. All the components are there. And we thank you for each one of those ingredients of our salvation. It's just amazing to look at how blessed we are. Lord, may we fit in. May we read these and say, Lord, how can I do anything other than than what your word says? So clear. Lord, may we apply these things to our life and to our thinking, our mind. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
I'm going to ask you to stand. Thank you for your patience this morning. It's so good to be together as a church. If we can help you in any way, we, we would love to do that. Um, Tim, why don't you come and... Ah, there he is. Let's close in song. missed.